Hey everybody, I'm your host Eric Mueller, and welcome back to The Eric Mueller Show, the podcast where we explore what makes any successful person's inner clock tick. Would you like to invest your hard-earned dollars more intelligently? What about building sustainable wealth for your own future? You're in luck because my guest today, Arye Scheinbein, is known as the Wealth Architect. In fact, his name is a perfect metaphor for his track record in financial intelligence. The Hebrew word Arye means lion. He is every bit of a lion for those he works with, passionate, courageous, protective, and he's willing to fight for the valuable assets that his clients entrust him with. Arye's bread and butter is helping successful business owners and entrepreneurs invest their money intelligently, allowing their wealth to accumulate so that they can stay focused on what truly matters, their business and mission. He's spent his entire career sharpening his operational experience with investments and valuing businesses, having worked with top private equity, venture capital, hedge funds, investment managers, and banks, as well as a wealth of success in the e-commerce and Amazon selling spaces. Arye is particularly skilled in managing large, complex projects and teams. A credit to his excellent executive leadership skills rooted in finance, business strategy, marketing, and operations. When Arye is not sculpting the financial futures of his clients, he hosts the iTunes Top 100 ranked Inside the Lion's Den podcast, a show that explores the leadership skills, financial acumen, and operational improvements that are required for sustained entrepreneurial and financial success. Buckle up and get ready to become more financially intelligent with The Eric Mueller Show today. Let's head on over to the interview. All right, so welcome back to The Eric Mueller Show, the podcast where we explore what makes any successful person's inner clock tick, Now, I've got a good one lined up for you today as we focus on wealth accumulation and intelligent investing. I'm proud to welcome a wealth architect to the show today to teach us strategies on how to build long-lasting wealth and invest our money intelligently. Arye Scheinbein, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. So right off the bat, would you share with me, and I noticed reading your one sheet before this interview, Your name, there's a meaning behind it, and it kind of ties in with the name of your podcast. You're also a podcast host inside the Lion's Den podcast. Would you just share what your first name means, Arye? Yeah, sure. So Arye means in Hebrew, it means lion. Now, obviously, some people, when they they think about a lion, they think about like ferocious. Some people, you know, if you actually go to the zoo, you're like, oh, they're kind of lazy. They sit around, whatever. But like at the end of the day, right, like the way I um, I named the podcast kind of had like a, a double meaning. And that was my name is Aries, which means lion. So there's like a play on words if you, if you knew what that meant. But the other part is a lion's den is one of these places where it's referenced as like this dark, dangerous, scary place where you kind of, you're thrown into lion's den. And it actually, a lion's den doesn't even really exist. There's no, like, if you look at them, they tend to like sleep out in the prairie. Like they, they kind of like, they, they are together, but they don't actually have a den. Um, but it's really like all these unknowns, right? We all get into business or we all get into different things. And there's at least something that we don't know. We always know there are things we don't know, right? Like I don't know quantum physics and, and that's fine. But if I get into business, whether it's medical, technical, technologically, or even investing, there are the things I, I know I don't know, but then there are these other things that I didn't even know I didn't even know. Right. So I get into it and I'm like, okay, I know I have to find a manufacturer for this product. Oh, but I didn't even know 
I had to find someone who was actually now going to get it on a boat and how I was going to arrange for the boat to get to the port and then from the port back to my warehouse, all these things that like when I just jumped in, I had no idea. And so that's really like the exploration of it. And it fit well with like the name of like get going into these places where you just don't know what's on the other side and you'd love to like know more information from other people. Yeah. I, I, thanks for sharing that. I was curious to know, you know, about that. So I appreciate you giving us an insight to that. I will tag that podcast to the show notes. I think you, I think everybody listening should go check that out because whether you're business-minded, entrepreneurial-minded, everybody needs to know how to use their money effectively in their lives to to build wealth. I mean, to even if you're someone that even wants to retire, you need to have a certain amount of money to be able to do that. So, Arye, just starting off here, how can someone listening make the most of their money if they just don't know what to do with it in the first place? Like, what is what are some tips you can share in which case... You know, you got someone that's like, hey, I just got out of school. I'm now starting to actually have an income, but I don't know what to do. I, I don't know where the heck to go with it. How can I progress towards having enough money to retire or buy a house and what have you? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously different points in life, different different goals, different things. So let's kind of start with like some fundamentals that everybody can do no matter where they are, whether they have a huge salary, they have a you know nothing salary, whatever it is. Um, and so the first thing is, and, and like kind of give you a little bit of context, my, my view is that I'm the reason I call myself a wealth architect is because I'm, I'm product agnostic and we'll kind of get into that later, but meaning like stocks are a product, bonds are a product, real estate is a product, insurance is a product, right? And so for me and the way I think about things and the way I try and help people is it doesn't matter what the vehicle, what the product is your wealth can grow no matter what that product is. And it has to fit you a little bit. So the big thing is, is that when we're thinking about your future, right? I, I don't look at, um, at like people's lives as a Dave Ramsey or Susie Ordman or Orsman where they're like, okay, you know, don't go, don't buy the latte. And, you know, but that being said, the fastest way to accumulate wealth hands down is spend less than you make. I know it sounds like a stupid, simple concept, but the truth of the matter is, is like Parkinson's law is one of these, you know, things that has nothing to do with investing, but what it does have to do with is everything in your life. Parkinson's law basically says that whatever time or space we give something, it will fill it. So think back to when you were in school, right? You had a month to do a report. Most people, they took the month. Why? Because they probably waited till like the last week or the last two days to kind of get it done. The same with like, if you're on a job and they tell you, okay, the deadline's a month from now. Yeah, maybe you get get out of the gate hot, but most people don't kind of like get done in three days. They take the full time. The same with like, if you are the type of person who likes to collect things or likes to not throw things away. If I said, okay, I'm going to give you a closet in your house or your apartment to put your stuff in, you will fill it even if you don't have a lot of stuff. And then if I gave you a bigger room, like a bigger closet, you'd likely you'd fill that as well. And so if we take that principle and we apply it to investing, we're going to look at both sides of the equation. One way to think about it is if I give you $10,000 a month to live off of, you're going to use $10,000 a month. And so therefore the problem is, is people's expenses tend to expand to what they make. And so the first thing to do is say, listen, I don't need all of that. And I can I can do with less. And so if we kind of if we increase when you're younger, the higher you're you're in investing. I don't want to call it a savings rate, but like the higher 
the percentage of the money that you make that you can throw into investments or savings and savings, not like sitting around in the bank, but just like, you know, not being spent. Okay. The, the quicker and the faster you will get to wealth. The same, if we apply that principle to Parkinson's law to say, okay, if you are only making five, 10,000, whatever, a thousand dollars a month, whatever it is, and you tell me, no, listen, I need to live off of all of it because my expense line is there. If we use Parkinson's law and I say, listen, you know what? If you're living off of $5,000 a month today, if I take away 10%, if I, if I, you now only live off of 4,500, you will find a way to make it work. And if we take that $500, we take that 10%, we invest it for you, you won't feel it and it'll be there for you later growing. And so the first thing you do is like, I'm not saying cut your expenses, but recognize that you don't need to live off of all the money you probably make. And there's lots of things you can do with that money once you're kind of siphoning in a way. Some people like to have a, you know, a three-month cushion or, or a larger cushion of just like, you know, rainy day, like, you know, things that may emergency type of funds. But, and then some people are like, hey, listen, I want to accumulate the money at its size so that I can then go and buy something big, meaning like a house, or I can go buy um, a real estate property to invest in or whatever it is. And then other people are like, I don't know that that's me. And it's better for them to just monthly take that money and put it into like an S&P 500 index. And then it's kind of growing. So part of it is like, there's no one size fits all. I can tell you, this is the thing. This is the thing. This is the thing. And half of the people listening will be like, nah, I don't agree with that and tune it out. And other people, the other half would listen to it. And so the key is to understand like what speaks to you more. Do you want to like kind of accumulate 10 to 50 or a hundred thousand dollars and buy an investment property house? Do you want to see the growth and like, hey, I want to be in the stock market every month, kind of dollar cost averaging, making sure that you're buying it, buying it, and buying it. All of the both of these are fine plans, but having a plan and taking action, those are the kind of big deals that really matter up the earlier the better. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for those listening, Parkinson's law. So I was not super familiar with that initially either, but that's just the concept that you're going to take the amount of time that's allotted to you to, to complete a task or, or accomplish a goal. Is that a fair way to kind of summarize that law? Yeah. Time or space. Cause it yep. can be physical, like the closet example. Okay. Yeah. And it, it reminded me of, I've seen, you know, you see things on Instagram and different posts and, and whatnot. And there's a the quote by Elon Musk where, you know, if I give you 30 days to clean your house, it's going to take you 30 days. Like I think that resonates with me when I see those things because I've seen it happen in my own life. I mean, even this you know podcast, it, I'm releasing every two weeks. I'm producing one episode every two weeks. How much more time could I save if I was to just front load some of that? And I love right. the the example of of the ten percent thing because I'm sure most people listening can can you know agree with you that you could shave off that ten percent of their their post tax income every two weeks or every month. And they're not going to feel that that much. And if you take that and put it in even a low risk type type bond or something, that money is going to more than likely grow. Kind of on top of this is, do you think 401k, would you say invest even more than than what your company is matching? You know, a lot of people say maximize the match at the very minimum, but what, what's your take on just the 401k as, a, as an investment vehicle? Yeah. So I think, again, it, it's very personal in the sense of depending on where you are in your life and what you're doing and things of that nature. But to, to the point you made, and that is, if you have a match, you got to go after the match first because it's free money. And the simple way to think about a match is, is if you put in a dollar and your company gives you 50 cents on that dollar, or they give you 30 cents on that dollar, 
day one, you got a 30 or a 50% return on your money, right? So that is like legit an amazing leverage point. And at the same time, um, it's capped on the 401k side, right? You're capped on the whatever the IRS limit is. I think it's $19,500 now or whatever, you know, every year that kind of changes a little bit. So on one hand, if there's a match, take put in as much as you can to get that full match, okay? The challenge though is, is with the vehicle is you're limited to the scope of your employer's vehicle. And what I mean by that is the way to think about these things, if you're very educated in this, I'm going to have to give you some, we're going to review some basics, but if you're not like this may be enlightening. And that is, so if you work at a company that offers you a 401k with a match, okay. And they say, here are your options. You can invest in A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, whatever it is. Okay. Some may only give you like one to five options. Some, some may give you 30 options, but at the end of the day, you are strictly limited to what that plan offers. So your company is, is, you know, has some relationship with some investment firm and those guys say, okay, you should offer them whatever. And they select it. Now you get to decide which fund your money goes into, but there are a couple of things. One is it's limited to these options. And so if Mm -hmm. it's three options and these options may, may or may not be good, then you're in like this weird place of like, okay, I want to take the full match, but I don't have a lot of great options. So there's lots of different things you can think of, even if you want to kind of keep it in like a money market thing. Now, granted, in today's environment, inflationary, you're losing money, right? Like inflation at six, seven, eight percent, whatever it is, whatever the real number is, if you're getting a, a 10 basis points, meaning like 0.1%, or even if you're getting 2% on your money, you're losing to, to inflation. So we do want it to grow. Um, but if we're saying, okay, should we put in more than that match? Now it becomes like, okay, let's know ourselves a little bit. What are we going to actually do with this money if we don't put it in there? Right. And so once you leave this company, you can roll this and have full control and you can invest in whatever you want inside this vehicle, meaning you will not be constrained by these the funds that the, the company selected. You could buy individual named stocks or exchange traded funds, ETFs, or you could roll it into a plan that you manage and actually can invest in real estate. So know that whatever you're doing when you are employed and using their 401k, you're not once you leave that company, you're not limited by the constraints of that plan. So having the money in there, there's definitely a benefit because you know some plans are a traditional 401k, which means that the money comes in without tax, you're not taxed on it, and you're taxed on it later when you pull it out after 59 and a half. You're taxed on the gains. Um, actually, you're taxed on everything because it wasn't. It was never taxed. But some companies actually have what's called a Roth 401k, which is just like a Roth IRA, but you pay the tax now, but everything that goes on inside that plan, meaning all the growth, is, is not taxed. So first of all, know what kind of plan your company has. Is it, is it a traditional 401k or is it a, a Roth 401k? Um, so in, to answer the, the question, right, like after you deal with the match, you have to understand like what the vehicle, like the option, the investment options are in the sense, are they any good? Are the fees high on some of them or not? But more importantly, is also like, what, where are you in your life cycle in the sense of understand that once that money goes in there, unless it's a, unless it's a Roth, the money is not coming out till you're 59 and a half, unless you want to pay penalty fees. So it's kind of like, Hey, that's cool. But if you're the type of person who's like, listen, no, I want to do something like a fire or fat fire or these kinds of things, you understand that any money that's in these vehicles is not coming out 
until you're almost 60 years old? And does that fit with your personal game plan? So for me to say like, no, don't do it, or yes, put it in, it really depends on the person, but be educated, understand like the limitations of the plan and understand your personal goal. If you're like, you know what, I'm 45 years old, I'm going to stay here for another 10 years, and this is the money I'm going to live off of later, then okay, yes, definitely put it in. If you're like, no, that's not my plan, I want to do this, I want to do that. Okay, like understand then what else are you going to do with the money? Where are you going to put it? And be smart about it as opposed to spending it or just kind of having it sit in cash doing nothing. Right. So, so Arya, so on, on the topic of education and being financially intelligent and, and knowing these things, a question that I think some of my listeners are, are thinking right now is that, hey, Arya, I don't have a lot of time to devote to learning what investments my company has, or I don't have a lot of time to you know, develop my own personal portfolio, so to speak. What advice would you give to that person on how to make the most of their money even if they can't allocate a lot of time? Is there a book that they can read? Obviously, they could listen to your podcast. That'd be great. Um, but what other what other tools would you would you advise them to to dive into? Yeah, so I think um, it's obviously Im- not important, but it's definitely important for people just to conceptually understand um, certain things. And so I would say, like, think about it like this. There's no need for them to research individual stocks and know every name and start following companies if that's not what they want, right? Like, and so these plans, or if you're investing for yourself, or if you're an entrepreneur and you have your own business and you either have your own SEP or a solo 401k or any of these things, at the end of the day, the the investment arena, the entire industry has evolved tremendously over the last 5, 10, 20, 30 years. And so index funds are something where they're basically following the the major indexes. And what does that mean? The index is a big basket. So when you hear in the news that the S&P 500 is up, what does that even mean? The S&P 500 is the basket of the 500 largest United States companies. NASDAQ is an index you hear about, and that's heavy on the technology side. Then you hear about the Russell 2000. That's basically the largest 2,000 companies inside the United States. And then you hear the thing called the Dow Jones, which is really only made up of 30 companies. And so there are indexes out there that you can buy that funds run, and most almost every 401k plan will have an S&P 500 or the equivalent of that, meaning there's no such thing as the S&P 500 that you go and buy, but you can have an exchange-traded fund or a mutual fund that actually goes out and buys those 500 companies on your behalf. Those, um, those indexes generally have very low fees. And the reason for that is that there's no active management, meaning like no one is sitting there and picking, oh, let me get this stock versus that stock, right? Like I'm going to buy, no, it's very, it's algorithmic in the sense that like here are the 500 biggest companies, this is where it goes. And this is what happens every time, every time you buy, you're just buying more of those 500 largest companies, right? So the fees are super low. And the reality is, is if you look out over time, most funds do not outperform the S&P 500 over time, right? They may have a good year or two Correct. or three, yeah. maybe even four or five. But the reality is, is like over time, the S&P 500 is the average. And so if you want to be like as, let's call it thoughtless as possible, right? Why not just do what the average does? So buy the S&P 500 on an ongoing basis, right? Weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever it is, put money into that. And you will have ups and you will have downs. There's no question about it. Like if we look at the S&P 500, this year in 2022, we're down whatever six to 10% year to date. 
Whereas last year, the S&P 500 was up 26, 27, 25%, something of that nature, right? And so it will average out that you, A, will do what the average does, and you will outperform probably active managers. Now, again, those active managers may outperform in certain years, but over time, you will do fine. And if you think about things, the way I, this is another concept that I think that most people are not really taught, and that's called the law of 72, the rule of 72. The rule of 72 basically says your money doubles in a certain amount of time when we take the number of years times the rate of return. So if those two numbers, so if I say over the next nine years, you will get an 8% return. So I take nine times eight, that equals 72. So over nine years at an 8% rate of return, we will double our money. Okay. And then, and again, nine years later, if we continue on on that 8%, that money will double as well. And so, yeah, 8% doesn't sound super sexy, but if that is the return that you get over time, over those nine years, then yeah, you're going to actually double your money. And so if we're looking for things that are like aggressive and we want to 2X our money, right? Like this is part of like the challenge in today's environment where you see people who are investing in crypto and they're like, well, I 10X my money inside three months. And you're like, oh, I'm getting 8%. They're like, what? You don't know what you're doing. You're, you know, you have this massive FOMO that you're, that you're doing it all wrong. But the person who 10X their money, A, they could have lost 90% of their money. And B, they may be spending nine hours a day doing this. And so if you fit that category where you're like, I, I want to do my job, I want to run my business, I want to whatever, fill in the blank, right? I don't want to stress over this, then much more passive may be your play. It may be getting an index that has dividend paying stocks, right? So companies like a Pfizer or Johnson Johnson, or to stay away from you know, the, the drug names, you want to get banks or real estate investment trusts. So they're also known as REITs. These guys give back part of a dividend is essentially part of the profits are paid to shareholders in the form of their cat the cash flow that they make is given back to shareholders and so you can have some kind of income off of that so understanding just a little bit is is totally necessary is the only necessary component and then you can kind of be like much more passive you're going to have ups you're going to have downs but being consistent to put the money to work it's going to be fine versus the guy who's sitting there nine hours a day in front of the screen Having stress, yes, he may tax his money. He may lose 90% of his money. A little bit unclear sometimes what's going to happen. But FOMO is probably the worst thing because it, it brings emotion into investments. And investments are way better when there's no emotion, but rather just logic. Right. So you just have to got to know the core foundational pieces, but you don't have to be spending a full time day's work doing that to, to be able to at least, you know, progress towards wealth accumulation. So it's, yeah, should people, I mean, yeah. The book I would say, like there are a number of books, like I'm just like looking at my bookies. Um, there are a number of books I would say that are probably helpful, but conceptually, there's a book called like The Little Book of Common Sense Investing, which was written by the founder of Vanguard. Vanguard is like one of the, the biggest low-cost index fund uh, firms out there. They were the first. So um, the author is is the founder and the chair, you know, the former uh, founder and the CEO of that company. And it's just a simple, easy read. Uh, and again, you may disagree with the philosophy, but he he kind of frames the understanding of what we just talked about. And there's another book called um, The Little Book That That Still Beats the Market. That's written by Joel Greenblatt, I think. Um, and he's a professor 
um, at either NYU or Columbia. And he's of the Warren Buffett and uh, Benjamin Graham kind of school of thought. And the book, it's not about using what he says in the book, but he breaks down how to think about valuing a company or a business or stocks just in a very high level way. He kind of talks about like kids, lemon stand type of, you know, chewing gum type of businesses. So again, it gives you like just fundamental, easy to understand ideas. That's great. And I'll, I'll be sure to tag those in the show notes because I think those are two I want to add to my reading list. I know I've heard of that, that little book before um, that beats the market. So that, you know, sounds like it'll be short. I don't know, but I'm, I'm definitely going to add that. So be on the lookout for those, those on the notes. I do have two questions for you. They kind of tie into one another. And then I want to talk a little bit about success, but two more questions kind of on the investing business side. So sure. yourself and your experience, you've had immense experience valuing businesses, looking for investments. Um, being a consultant for people, what have you noticed as far as the evaluation, like equation, or what what pieces do you look at to value a business? Obviously, we could do a full episode on this, and I hope we we might someday. But yeah, if you could touch on that, and then also if if there's a specific myth about finance and investing that comes to your mind that you'd want to share with the listeners. So, business valuation, just kind of a quick on that, and then maybe if there's a myth out there about finance that that you just want to debunk as far as hey, this is not this is not how it is. You know, don't fall into that uh, that false belief. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to start with a myth because that one's going to be quicker and easier. And the myth is that it it uh, anybody can become wealthy and invest. Okay, it is the myth is that like um, it takes something or you have to X fill in the blank. You have to be a professional. You have to have tons of money. You have to whatever it is. Time will trump a lot of things. So if you start early and you start to invest, the compounding of over time will, you know, even if you don't knock it out of the park and you don't have 50% returns, the time of the, and the compounding of that time will just propel you way further. So start early is probably the biggest thing to use to debunk the, hey, um, nobody can do it or you have to be a professional. So th that's item number right. one. In terms of valuing things, um, I think, so first and foremost, it, it it really varies. Are we talking about a business? Are we talking about stock? Are we talking about real estate? Are we talking about something else, right? And so everything has a you know core methodology. Probably, typically, you have like three methods where people kind of um, will value things. So there's one method that we would look at, and that is transaction approach, meaning what have comparable sales of comparable companies or businesses or stocks been sold at in, in the past. Meaning if someone were to acquire the business that you are in and we wanted to figure out like, hey, what, what, what can we reasonably expect to get for our business? We would look at the most similar transaction that happened already in the past and say, hey, what did they pay for that business? Well, they paid $100 million. Okay. So now we look at why did they pay $100 million for that business? Did they pay a multiple of revenue? Did they pay a multiple of what we would call um, EBITDA, meaning um, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization? Or did they pay it on net income, which would include those, the, the taxes and the depreciation and those kinds of things, right? So these are like accounting words, like not to get lost here, but simply it's a metric. And what did they pay it on? Because at the end of the day, whether we're going to use this transaction approach, the other approach is what we call a market multiple. So we would say, hey, my company, whether it's public or not public, what do the public companies who are trading in the stock market every day, what are, are people valuing that on? So look at that company's financials, that public company, and we say, okay, that public company is trading at 20 times 
revenue or 20 times earnings or 20 times fill in the blank. And we would extrapolate that to our business and say, okay, we should get a higher or lower multiple. And the okay. last one is the last one is called an income approach. An income approach basically looks at what we call a discounted cash flow model. We look at what the expected future cash flows are, and we kind of bring that future value back to the present time, to today. And we look at the risks, we look at the probabilities of these things. All three of these methodologies focus on one core thing, and that is future earnings. Because when we buy a business, we invest in a business, whether it's real estate or an actual operating company, we are looking at future cash flow. What is the cash flow to the owner that we can we can take in? Now, granted, when you have companies that are losing money, you're looking at way out in the future. What is the growth on the revenue and ultimately the earnings? So we're always looking out at the future. What someone did last year is a nice piece of information, but it's not relevant to me, the buyer because I'm not getting that. I'm only getting the future. So we always are looking into the future. Perfect. That That is great. Thank you so much for, I know it was a quick, quick answer. And I do hope, you know, if you're wanting to come back on the show, we could do an entire episode over business and investment valuation. I think it totally. would help me as an entrepreneur, <laughs> other people that want to start businesses. That is such a key, key piece. So Arya, thank you so much on that. And then I have, you know, just kind of diving into really the core focus of this podcast. So we've talked a lot about finance and investing. Really appreciate your insights there. Now, I just want to ask you a few questions regarding, you know, the success journey, so to speak, and and what keeps you driven. Really the kind of core focus as far as why I started the podcast to begin with. So the the thing I like to ask everybody is what is their definition of success to start off? So if you had to share, you know, in as few or as many words as you want, what is success to you? Personal business, you know, however you want to define it. Yeah. So I think um, I I think that the definition has definitely evolved for me. Um, and, and I think it probably would evolve, uh, evolve for most people, but I think success at this point for me is kind of, you're, you're enjoying what you're doing. You're happy with your life and you have the ability to, I wouldn't say like complete time freedom because like, that's like this elusive evasive thing that may or may not ever come to someone because it's very personality driven. But I think like, because some people like can sit around and do nothing, and other people they'll go crazy if that if even if they had all the t- you know all the money in the world. So success is I I am happy with what um, I am doing. I am happy with my life, and I have the time for the things that I value most. So whether it's spending time with my family, spending time doing X, Y, or Z, whatever it may be, though to me that is success. That I'm not like okay, I am not accomplishing the things that are most important to me that that I enjoy and want to be doing, if I'm not doing that or I don't have that amount of time for that, that to me is not success. So it doesn't have to be like, hey, I have you know, 100 million in the bank versus like, oh, or my company was doing 1 million and I want to get to 10 million. Those things to me don't define success anymore. Whereas when when I think when I was younger, like I had different definitions around you know, what is success. Right. Yeah. And I share that same feeling. I mean, I, I know my definition has evolved even just in the course of this podcast over the last 13 months, hearing from other people's definitions, it helps shapes my own. And if you were to expand a little bit on my core question of what is a single driving force that keeps your inner clock ticking towards that success? So what keeps REA driven day in and day out to jump on a stranger's podcast or help consult you know, a business on this? So if you could just share what, what are those forces that just keep you so motivated to drive towards success? Yeah, so I th- it's, it's I think that's a great question. 
And, and I'm sure like, if you listen to all the episodes and you listen to what everybody tells you, you could probably learn a ton just on that one question. Um, I think for me, what I have found is, so my, one of my, my biggest drivers is, is my family and my family's future. And, and I, and I don't mean like, you know, I have, I have one kid already in college. I have two in high school. I have four children and like even my youngest is in middle school. And so like, I'm not worried about these things, right? Like, I'm not like, Hey, I I need to pay for college. That's not like what keeps me driven. What keeps me driven is like, I want to be thinking about their whole life and their God willing, their children's life and, and things of that nature. So that's number one, that's a big driver for me. Um, number two is, is that I found like now that I've had, you know, a career of investing, a career of, you know, working with a lot of, you know, asset management firms and seeing what they've done, I'm at a point where I actually would rather help the, let's call it the masses or help the the people who are just like missing it. And I found that like, I really, really, really enjoy knowing that I'm getting person from point A to point B, and it is going to have a massive impact on them and their family. And the education and the and the actual transformation that they're going to have is what actually makes a huge impact on on me watching that happen for them really drives me a lot. Right. Yeah, family, big driving force for many people, I'm sure. Those of you listening, just think what what keeps you driven? What when you think about where you want to go, why is it that you want to go that way? Why is it that you want to build this amount of money or build a company or put all this time into going to school? So Oh, yeah, I think that, I mean, that answer probably resonates with a lot of people listening. So I appreciate you sharing that. As we close to want to be respectful of your time, is, is there a best way that someone can reach out to you if they've listened and they're like, gosh, I got to connect with Arya and learn more about this social media email. What, what would you prefer if someone wants to reach out? Yeah. So I'd say, um, social media, the two platforms I'm probably the most active on is, uh, Instagram is Arya the businessman is the handle. And then, uh, Twitter is something I've gotten into a lot more in the last like six to 12 months. And that's just at Arya Scheinbein. Um, and then, you know, I think if you websites, it's really futurefundme.com is one website and solution advisory is the other website. Perfect. So yeah, everybody reach out to Arya, follow his podcast, definitely subscribe to that. And I'm thinking we're going to have Arya back on the show at some point, hopefully, you know, if he's willing to do that, we can talk more about business valuation and really dive, you know, more into that entrepreneurial side. Um, You know, this, this episode hopefully was helpful from a finance standpoint, you know, from a personal standpoint, I think it's helpful to know how to build that wealth because you don't want to work forever. So Arya, thank you so much for being on the Eric Mueller show. Enjoy the rest of your day, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.